morning again, dear friends. It's good to see you. Thank you, Brother Austin, for doing a great job leading us in our singing, and Brother Jason for the wonderful job at the table, and for all of you who are here this morning. It's been a wonderful morning. Let's keep worshiping God. Let's study from His Word. If you have your Bible still with you, get it out, please. Go back to the Old Testament with me. We're studying from the Old Testament today, and this time we want to go to the book of 2 Samuel. We were in 2 Kings earlier, and now we want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to read the first 11 verses of 2 Samuel chapter 6. These verses are parallel to the verses that Brother Caleb read for us earlier in the worship service. 2 Samuel 6 and verse 1 says, Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Bel Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart, that they may bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking ahead of the cart. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel was celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became very angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. What, what a terrible, what a terrible situation we read about here in the word of God. What an unfortunate situation. What a very troubling and, and even disturbing situation. I mean, I mean, notice what we find here in, in these scriptures. Notice how here in, in these scriptures, the writer tells us about a, a man, a, an Israelite man, a religious man, a believer and worshiper of God being killed being struck down by God, having his life taken away by the Lord instantly and suddenly because he touched the Ark of the Covenant? That's what happens here on this occasion. And let me just say that this actually happened, this tragic event actually happened during what should have been a great moment in Israelite history. It actually happened during an occasion where King David and all of 
the people of Israel were celebrating and displaying great optimism about the future. They were displaying great excitement about the future during what appears to be a very positive and celebratory moment. God strikes down Uzzah. God kills this man for just reaching, reaching out and touching the ark. That's what the Bible says. And the question is, why did God do that? Why did God kill this man? Why did God kill this man, Uzzah? That's the question I want us to, to find and, and some answers to this morning. And as we attempt to try to find the right answer to that question, let's just begin by, by studying very carefully the context of these verses on the slide right here. Let's just begin by, by first pointing out that by the time we get here to 2 Samuel chapter 6, we need to understand that King Saul, the wicked King Saul, he and his sons are, are dead. They've been killed. Saul and almost his entire family has been wiped out, and King David has now finally been made the king of all of Israel. He's now consolidated his reign. He's now been put in a position where he's reigning over all of the people of God. In fact, according to the verses that Brother Caleb read for us in 1 Chronicles 13, one of the first things that David wants to do as a king is he wants to lead a great spiritual revival. He wants to do something that Saul failed to do for 40 years, and that is he wants to lead the people of Israel back to God. He wants to get them excited about serving God again. He wants to get them to a point to where they're, they're serving the Lord with all their heart and their soul and their mind. David is leading a great spiritual revival here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. In fact, as part of this great spiritual revival, he decides to move the Ark of the Covenant. He decides to move the Ark of the Covenant from where it currently was located in the tabernacle to his new capital city of Jerusalem, which is also called the city of David at this time. He's going to move the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem or the city of David. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that that is a big deal. That was a huge deal. That was a huge deal because remember what the Ark of the Covenant was. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was essentially this big box. It was this big container that housed some of Israel's most prized possessions. It, it contained some of Israel's most sacred items. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that miraculously budded, confirming that both he and Moses were God's choices to be the leaders of Israel. It also contains some of the manna that God miraculously rained from heaven to feed his people for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. It also contained the tablets of stone that God wrote the Ten Commandments. The Ark of the Covenant contains some very sacred items for the people of Israel. And also remember where the Ark was located in the tabernacle. Remember, the ark was so sacred that it was actually located in the most holy place in the tabernacle. 
It was actually located in the vicinity or in the room where the, the high priest would enter in once a year and sprinkle blood on the lid to atone for the sins of all of the people of Israel. Remember, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says were two cherubims. Two angels. And the scripture also says that the Lord was enthroned above the cherubim. The Lord's presence with his people of Israel was enthroned above the cherubim. It was above the ark where God's presence was, above, was, was among his people. The ark is the most sacred item in Israel. And David's going to move it. He's going to move it to Jerusalem. In fact, before moving into Jerusalem, the scripture says David gathered all the people of Israel and they just threw a big party. They had this great celebration and David also decided to move the ark on a brand new cart. He has brought out some brand new transportation. I mean, he clearly is excited about this moment. He clearly is going all out for this moment. He, he is sparing no expense for this moment. In fact, 2 Samuel 6 and verse 5, if you remember, tells us that David was so excited about this that when the time came to finally move the ark, David celebrated with all his might. David and all the people of Israel celebrated before God with singing and with instruments. They had lyres, they had harps, they had trumpets, they had tambourines. I mean, this was a really big deal. They had a huge celebration before moving the ark of God. But eventually when they start, when they started heading to Jerusalem, God reigned on the parade. God put a serious dark cloud on Israel's plans. He did something that transitioned David from being excited and optimistic and full of joy to being very, very grieved, to being depressed, to, to being even confused. Go back to verse number six of 2 Samuel 6. Verse 6 tells us, as we go to 6 and 7, it says that while the ark was being moved, while the ark was on its way to Jerusalem, when it reached the threshing floor of Nacon, it nearly fell off of the cart that it was on, and a man named Uzzah reached out to keep it from hitting the ground. You see, Uzzah knew how important the ark of the covenant was to Israel. Uzzah knew what was inside the Ark of the Covenant, and he reached out and tried to grab it so, so it wouldn't fall off and be damaged. I mean, it appears that he's trying to do something good. He's trying to do something noble, but, but God isn't happy about it. God is clearly anger. In fact, in his anger, God killed him. God struck him down dead right there on the spot. God killed Uzzah because he touched the ark. And talk about putting a damper 
on the great move the people were in, right? In fact, in the case of David, when David found out what happened, remember the scripture tells us in verses 8 through 10, he did three things. First in verse 8, the Bible says that when David learned about this, he got angry. He got angry, not at God, but probably at the whole situation. He's angry because us dying by the ark has really spoiled his plans, has really, has really messed up this, this great spiritual revival he's trying to lead. Verse 8 says that Uzzah, or David, I'm sorry, is angry because of what happened to Uzzah. And then in verse 9, it says that David also responded with fear. He got afraid. He got afraid of God. He got afraid of the Lord. He knew that the Lord was upset about something here. But at this point, he doesn't really know what the Lord's upset about. And so he's angry. He's afraid. And then thirdly, verse 10 says, he says, I'm not going any further with this thing. He doesn't go any further. Instead of proceeding with the ark to the city of Jerusalem, he, he houses it at the house of a man named Obed-Edom. It goes to Obed-Edom the Gittite, and it stays at his house for three months. And so think about this. Think about this. What starts out as a day of joy and optimism and celebration ends in horror. It ends in tragedy. It ends with grief and even death. That's what's going on here. In 2 Samuel 6 and in 1 Chronicles 13, the question is, what can we learn from all of this? What does God want us to learn from what happened with Uzzah? and David and Israel on this occasion. Well, I just want to suggest two important lessons that, that we need to appreciate from this, this very tragic story. The first thing that I think we can learn, the first thing we can learn from the death of Uzzah is number one, from the death of Uzzah, we see that good motives, good motives are not enough. Having good motives, having good intentions are not enough to please God. They are not enough to bring glory to God. I want you to think about King David. King David clearly has good motives on this occasion. Wouldn't you agree? He's not trying to do something evil. He's not trying to do something wicked. He has good motives. He wants to do something good for the cause of God. He wants to spiritually revive the people. He wants to bring the people back to God. He's passionate. He's enthusiastic. He's zealous about what he's doing here. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, God wants us to have the same kind of spirit David had. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 11. In Romans 12 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that when it comes to us as Christians, when we serve the Lord, we never need to lag behind in diligence but instead, we need to be fervent in spirit, fervent in spirit, excited, passionate while we're serving the Lord. Isn't that what Paul says there? Jesus taught this before Paul. John 4 and verse 24, as Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he's talking to her about worship, worship that pleases God. He says, God is spirit. God is not flesh. 
God is not a man on the earth. He's a spirit. And those who worship him like we're doing right now, those who worship him must. It's not optional. We must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice how in addition to getting the mechanics right. In addition to making sure we worship God according to his word, something that is just as important, according to Jesus, is doing it in, in spirit. Doing it with your heart, doing it with your concentration, doing it with zeal and with passion and excitement. God urges us throughout the Bible to have passion and zeal and excitement when we do things for his glory. The Bible is very clear that God wants us to have a fervent spirit when we serve him. But from David's actions, we see that having a fervent spirit, being zealous and excited and passionate, that's not enough. That's not enough to please God. That's not enough to bring glory to God. If we're going to glorify God in the highest possible way, we got to have more than zeal, passion and excitement. We see that with David, don't we? But we don't just see that with David. Don't we also see that with Uzzah? I mean, like, like David, when it comes to Uzzah, I'm going to tell you, I don't think Uzzah was trying to do something wicked when he reached out to touch the ark. I don't think Uzzah was trying to rebel against the Lord. I don't think Uzzah was shaking his fist at heaven and saying, God, I'm going to touch this thing anyway. I think this was a, a natural, instinctive thing he did. I mean, haven't you done that before? You ever been at somebody's house or at a get together and you saw something, maybe a little kid about to knock over something and your instincts, your natural instincts cause you to reach out and try to stop it before it hits the ground. You ever did that before? I've done that many times. That's part of being a human being. That's human nature. That's an instinctive thing that every human being does. I don't think Uzzah, his motive at this occasion, on this occasion, was to do something wicked. He was trying to do something good. But then you put that with what the Bible says about the Apostle Paul. Look at Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 1. I'm going in my Bible to Galatians 1, verse 13. And Paul says this. Galatians 1 and verse 13 in the New Testament. Paul says, For you have heard. You've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely what? Zealous. Zealous for my ancestral traditions. Notice how here Paul is describing his life before he became a Christian. He's describing his life when he was living according to the law of Moses. He's describing his life when he was living as a Jew trying to keep the religion of Judaism. Paul says that when it came to his life as a Jew, he was very zealous about being a Jew. He was very passionate about the religion of Judaism. In fact, he was so passionate about Judaism that he tried to destroy the religion that was in competition with it at that time, and that was Christianity. Paul says, I tried to destroy Christianity. 
I, I persecuted the church. I tried to stomp out the church. I tried to destroy the church. That's how passionate and zealous Paul was for his religion of Judaism. That's how fervent in spirit he was when it came to Judaism. But eventually he learned from Jesus on the Damascus Road that his fervent spirit and his passion and his zeal, all that was going in the wrong direction. All of that was going against truth. All of that was actually blinding him to what was true. That was the pit that Paul fell into for a time in his life. And sadly, my dear friends, for so many religious folks, in fact, for most religious folks in the world today, they fall into the same pit. They fall into the same pit. Sadly, most religious folks think that if they're passionate about what they're doing in religion, if they're excited about it, if they're zealous about it, if even a bunch of other people believe like they do and feel the same way that they do, then that means that what they're doing is right. That means that what they're doing in religion must be a good thing. It must be something that God is pleased with, that, that God wants them to do. I mean, God must want us to use these mechanical instruments because they just sound so good. They make me feel so good. They really draw a big crowd. We have a lot of talented people in this church who know how to play the organ and the piano and the guitar and the drums. And if we don't let them play these things in worship, their talents are going to go to waste. God must want us to use some of the funds that we collect on Sunday to build a gym. I mean, think about it. We're doing so much good with that gym. We're doing it for our young people. We're doing it so they can spend time together and, and build relationships. I know that the Bible talks about the need for baptism. I know it says that, but... That's not how I feel. I, I feel I got saved when I said a prayer. I feel I got saved when I just had faith in Jesus Christ. Once I started believing in Jesus, I could feel him come into my life. You see, like David and like Uzzah and like even the, the Apostle Paul for a time in his life, for so many people, and I say this with love, for so many religious folks, they are making the mistake of believing that just because their motives may be good and just because they may have a lot of zeal and passion and enthusiasm for what they are doing, that automatically means what they're doing is right. That automatically means that what they're doing is something that God approves of. A lot of religious people go by that philosophy they are led by that philosophy, but from the death of Uzzah, we see that that is not biblical at all. That's not even close to Bible. From what happens to Uzzah, and even with David, we see that good motives, good motives are not enough. They're not enough to please God. You see, in addition to having good motives when we serve God, you know what else we got to have? We got to have right methods. We got to have good motives and right methods. Good motives 
must always be accompanied with right methods. And let me just say again, for the sake of emphasis, there's nothing wrong with having good motives. We need to have good motives when we do things in religion. And we need to have zeal. We need to have passion. We need to have excitement. We need to be fervent in spirit. All those things are promoted in the sacred text. There's no doubt about that. But let me tell you something, something else that is equally important to zeal and passion and enthusiasm are our methods. How we do things, we got to make sure always that in addition to having the zeal and the passion and enthusiasm, our methods are also in line with the will of God. And so let me prove this to you. Go back to the story again. We're not done here. Go this time to 1 Chronicles 15. Go to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 15. Now, Brother Caleb read 1 Chronicles 13. I read 2 Samuel 6. We saw what happened with Uzzah. We saw how this affected David's emotions. Well, here in 1 Chronicles 15, the Holy Spirit is going to give us the rest of the story. We want to see what happened after the ark made it to Obed-Edom, the Gittite's house, for three months. In 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 1, it says... Now, David, this is some time has elapsed here by three months or so. David built houses for himself in the city of David. That's Jerusalem before it expands in the time of Solomon. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pinched a tent for it. So he's getting it all prepared for the ark to get there. Then David said, no one is to carry the ark of God, but the Levites for God or the Lord did what? He chose them to carry the ark and to minister to him forever. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11. Then David called Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Abinadab, and said to them, You are the heads of the father's, house, father's households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God to Israel of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13, because you did not carry it at first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to what? We didn't seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon as Moses, what, had commanded according to the word of the Lord. These verses are so critical to consider when understanding why God was so angry when he killed Uzzah. Here, these verses are, are so significant. They are so significant because they tell us, they tell us exactly what David did wrong, and they also tell us exactly why God killed Uzzah. In the case of Uzzah, God didn't kill him because he was just trying to, to be mean. He didn't kill him because he was trying to, to be unfair or just to demonstrate that he had the power to kill somebody. No, the reason why God killed Uzzah, according to those verses, is because Uzzah clearly disobeyed God. Uzzah clearly did something 
that was unscriptural. He did something that he had, and I know folks don't like this word, but he did something he had, that he had no authority to do. He had no authority to do. Look back at verse 11. Verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 15. Notice how there we have a specific list of men that God wants to carry the ark from place to place. And unless my glasses are messed up, I don't see Uzzah's name anywhere on that list, do you? Uzzah's name is not on that list. Uzzah is not part of the list of people that God gave authority to to carry the ark. To really appreciate this, we got to go back to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. When God first gave the law to Israel, all the way back in the time of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this is what it said about moving the ark, or moving the ark and anything that was in the tabernacle. It says when Aaron, remember Aaron was the first high priest, when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. Notice how what happened to Uzzah should not have surprised anybody in Israel. It shouldn't have surprised David. It shouldn't surprise Uzzah. It shouldn't have surprised Uzzah's family. God promised all the way back in the book of Numbers that anybody unauthorized, any unauthorized person who touched the ark was going to die. All God was doing was keeping his promise. This wasn't some shocking thing. It shouldn't have been. God promised to kill anyone who touched the holy objects, which included certainly the ark. And before we're quick to let David off the hook here, let me just say that David is not innocent at all. While he may have been passionate and excited and enthusiastic when it came to moving the ark, in his excitement and passion and enthusiasm, he failed to do the main thing he should have done before trying to move this thing, and that is open up the book of God. And let's just see what God has to say about this. What does God have to say about moving the Ark of the Covenant? David should have consulted the word of God before he did anything else. He didn't do that before, but later on, he did it, didn't he? He opened up the word of God, and when he opened up the word of God and read what it said, he realized that, man, I totally messed this up the first time. I did not move this thing in the way that God said. He realized his mistake. After he realized that, he then did it right. He did it according to the word of God. He realized that the ark was commanded by the Lord to be carried by the Levites while they carried it on their shoulders. Notice again, Aaron and his sons and the descendants of Aaron when they had finished covering the holy objects, notice how the holy objects were to be covered by Aaron and his sons. So God gave that instruction. And then after these things were covered up, the sons of Kohath, do you see that? The sons of Kohath were to carry them. If anybody else carried it, those people were going to die. There was going to be some problems. 
That's what the word of God said. And again, once David found that and put it into practice, everything went okay. Guess what? The thing then made it to Jerusalem. It made it safe and sound, and everybody else did. And then they could start celebrating again. Now, somebody may say, well, what's the point? What are you trying to say, Sean? Well, here's my point. My point is, and I want to be crystal clear, from this, we see that we always got to do things God's way. We got to always do it God's way. We got to always have enough respect and love and reverence for God to not only consult his word and study it very carefully, but we got to submit to it. We got to obey it. We got to always do exactly what it says. We got to make sure that we always understand that no part of God's word is an irrelevant or minor detail. Nothing in God's word is to be overlooked. Nothing is to be viewed as no big deal in the eyes of God. We got to always, before we do anything in this place, we got to make sure we study the word of God carefully and do exactly what God says. This is true when it comes to our worship. For those who are, are visiting with us this morning, I want you to know that if this is your first time to be with us, or if you're a frequent visitor, there's a reason why we do everything we do in this place. We don't do the things we do here because it's our personal preference, preference, or because it just feels right or looks right. No, we try to do everything we do in this place according to what we find in the Bible. We want to do it God's way. That's what David should have done before moving the ark. You see, when it comes to worship, when we open up our Bibles and study our Bibles, when we study the gospel, the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we're going to see that when it comes to worship, God hasn't left us to our own devices. God hasn't failed to give us any guidance and clear direction. In the Bible, we find verse after verse after verse where God is telling us exactly what to do, just like he told them exactly what to do when it came to moving the ark. In the New Testament, we find verses like Acts 2 and verse 42. Where the early Christians, when they worshiped God, under the guidance of the, of the Holy uh, Spirit and the apostles, they took the Lord's Supper. They took it every first day of the week. That's the implication of them doing it on the first day of the week. They prayed. They heard preaching. In Ephesians 5, verse 19, Colossians 3, verse 16, we see they, they sang, and we never have any scriptures that say they did it with mechanical instruments. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, we see they took up a collection on the first day of the week. There are verses all over the New Testament that tell us what God wants when it comes to worship. And the same principle applies to, to when it comes to how we use the Lord's money in this place. We can't just use this, this money we take up to do whatever we want to do. We got to use it according to what the book says. The Bible tells us how to use the Lord's money. The Bible tells us about the kind of work we should be involved in as a church. The Bible tells us about the kind of qualifications we should look for in our leaders. The Bible tells us who we should accept into our fellowship and how we should execute church discipline. The Bible even tells us when God is okay with a person divorcing their spouse and marrying someone else. The Bible gives us direction on all these things. 
And it gives us even direction when it comes to salvation. In regards to the details or the methods of salvation, gaining salvation, having your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, God's got a clear plan that's been followed by Bible truth-seeking people for 2,000 years. In Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus says God's plan for salvation involves belief in the gospel, belief in Jesus Christ as a son of God, and baptism for the purpose of gaining salvation. Acts 2, verse 38, we see God's plan involves repentance and baptism for forgiveness of sins. Acts 22, verse 16, we see again the idea of being baptized. That's how you get your sins washed away. That's how you call the name of the Lord. That's what we find in the case of the conversion of Paul. God is clear on these matters. And let us appreciate that this morning. Let us appreciate that in addition to having good motives and a right attitude when we serve the Lord, we got to make sure that our right attitude and good motives are accompanied with the right methods. In fact, if our motives are truly good, then we'll always make sure we have the right methods, right? And so, if there's somebody here this morning and you need to respond to the gospel if you want to do it the Lord's way, we'll help you with that. If you're ready to believe in Jesus and confess that, and repent of your sins and obey the Lord's plan to be baptized for remission of your sins. The Lord will keep his word. He will forgive you for your sins and you'll make it safely into his kingdom on this day. Just like David made it safely to Jerusalem with the ark when he did exactly what God said. And so if we can help you come to the Lord in any way at all. Come to the front right now. Let's stand.